0: podcast. I'm Randall James, your homeopathic herbalist, and with me is Tyler Kamstra. Hi, everybody. And Random Pal. Howdy. All right, Tyler, what are we going to do today? Today we're going to talk about
1: healing. Uh, more specifically, we're going to talk about mundane medicine. So if you're familiar with dungeon fantasy RPGs, D&D, Pathfinder, etc., you are familiar with having someone in the party who can cast healing spells. But beyond magical solutions to problems, there's also mundane healing which is a topic that a lot of groups just overlook like i have a cleric why do i need to know how to use band-aids so we're going to explore today both the mechanics of mundane healing how to make those mechanics interesting and useful and how to
0: make it a fun storytelling device okay so i'm gonna ask you a question i'm pretty sure none of us actually prepared for what is the etymology of the word mundane what does this actually mean Boy, you're asking the wrong podcast, man. (laughs) Etymology, I don't know that I could get
2: there. For how we're going to use it in this context, it's mostly just not magical. In various dungeon fantasy games, there's a lot of healing that you're going to find that is not strictly magical, but also still not what we're mostly talking about. We are really largely going to be talking about how do I take... The skill medicine usually and or some items and apply them to put hit points back on or perhaps fix conditions.
0: Compare this to th- no, obviously make the joke right. Like I found this Bactine in a dungeon, but I don't know how to use it, so I guess <laughs> right. you're gonna have to deal with it. I do want to say I really just asked the etymology question to make Tyler insert that in the show notes. That's all. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, That's and fine.
2: so you know, speaking of Bactine, right? This is a thing that fighters do. They chug some Bactine as a bonus action once per <laughs> short rest, and Somehow this heals them. You have that sort of thing. You have your characters, well, not generally characters, but some some monsters will have things like regeneration, all of these things that are just supposed to represent a a natural ability for a body to heal itself, which is not what we're talking about. We are really just going to focus on applied healing that doesn't come from a magical source.
0: Okay, and so... To you know, shed some light what we'll do, we're going to talk about 5e, we're going to talk about Pathfinder 2, we're actually going to roll through what are the ideas that we can draw from a lot of different tabletop games. And then on the back end, we want to pick our heads up and say, like, okay, what were actually the good ideas, and, and what could we leverage to make this more interesting?
1: Yeah, exactly. We've done kind of a survey of a bunch of different rule sets to look at their options for healing. Unsurprisingly, the rules for healing are as diverse as the rule sets themselves. So every game will have a different answer to how healing works. Listeners are probably most familiar with 5th edition D&D, possibly Pathfinder 2, maybe some other rule sets if you've explored beyond those horizons. Since 5th edition D&D is kind of the staple baseline for a lot of people playing TTRPGs, let's start there. Open up your player's handbook. Go to the playing the game section, using ability scores, we're all pantomiming, flipping open books, (laughs) imagine the sound of pages turning. The section on the skill medicine is basically one sentence, and it amounts to, you can use a medicine check as an action to stabilize a dying creature with a DC, I believe it's 15 medicine check, and
0: that's it. End of medicine. Okay, I think it's worth calling out give me one or two other things that i could do to stabilize a creature that don't require me to use the medicine skill uh, healing word is probably the one that that people go to most frequently you can do it
1: from across the room pops people back up in a fight Costs a first level spell slot works great you can also use a healer's kit which doesn't require a check and uses the same action so you pull out your first aid kit you slap someone with a band-aid no check required they are stabilized There's also the Spare the Dying Cantrip, which will stabilize people by touching them, but, like, healer's kits exist. Why would you bother? Yeah, honestly, I think the biggest
2: problem with the healer's kit is the fact that you have to hold right-click on them the entire time. It's just really time-consuming. You're going
0: to get pounced. (laughs) Perfect. Uh, So, what we're really saying is the medicine skill, very strong in 5e, super irreplaceable, right? (laughs) Oh, yes. Most essential skill in the game. Um, (laughs) Okay. Good. (laughs)
1: Yeah, the the fact that the medicine skill in 5e is so useless is actually the impetus for this episode because this has been done right in so many RPGs to see the number one RPG get this so incredibly wrong and they just never even try to fix it. It's not that hard, guys. So, you say that, but it's interesting. It's not like they were good
2: at it in previous editions either. I mean, you know, think back to 3.5.
1: There was heal. Which, which, ironically, the one thing that it can't do is heal injuries. (laughs) Well, it... No, no, you can't... uh, What? (laughs) A skill called
2: heal... Wow. A skill (laughs) called heal... Yep. I I take that applause. A skill called heal could not put hit points back onto somebody except as part of sleeping overnight. And in 3.x when you slept overnight, you didn't get all your hit points back. You got back your
1: hit dice in hit points
2: back. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so if you're like if you're a barbarian and you get dropped down to one hit point, if you need to heal
0: naturally, it'll take like weeks sometimes at high levels. Okay, but let me let me clarify that. So, I have 5 hit dice and I have let's say like 30 HP. I gain 5 HP and overnight. A right. Yep. Yep.
2: Now, okay. if someone if someone makes a heal check as part of tending wounds overnight, they can
1: take some number of creatures and I think it's 6 and double that. Double. Yeah. Okay. It's double. If you don't have a cleric in the party, you just pay an NPC nurse to tend your wounds
0: overnight while you heal basically. Wow. Okay, yeah. that's that's bad. Well, okay, yeah. I mean, I don't want to say it's bad, right? I'm sure it fit the system, and it was great. No, but like... it didn't. That That's exactly my point. It was really dumb. It, it okay, hasn't... no, that's bad, then. That's bad. Yeah. Because,
2: so, And this is why, like, the, the absolute scarcity of reasonable healing for the scale of hit points that player characters have is why a divine caster was required. Something that could cast healing magic, because... If you don't have it, especially in older editions, I mean, you were just hosed. Because if you had a bad fight, one, maybe more characters are out for days. And then you just, what do you do? Do you just sit and wait for days? Fifth edition, God bless them. When you sleep overnight, at least wait, you get all the sleep wait, points back. Wait. but
0: I'm, I'm not done. I'm not done. <laughs> so, so like you say, okay, Divine Caster is a must-have. So let's say I'm a party of four. We go in. We all really get messed up. Does the Divine Caster basically have to save all of their spell slots just to heal the party?
2: So, they thought of that clerics in particular, a good aligned cleric or a neutral cleric who chose this option, could drop any prepared spell for a cure. Just... I'm I'm going to drop this and turn it into a cure wounds of the appropriate slot, explicitly for that reason. Okay. Uh, however, what this did mean is that if your primary divine caster was a druid,
0: yes, you just had to prepare and hope. Um, yeah. Because they couldn't do that. Or I mean, it's actually it that leads to like almost something that's malicious, right? Because you basically like I sure hope you people get messed up in this fight, because otherwise I wasted these spell slots for nothing.
2: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, and so th- there was an alternate. Class feature you could take... I am pretty sure this was PHB2. So what druids could do normally, in the same way that clerics could drop for cures, is druids could drop for summon nature's ally. Basically just borrow an animal at higher levels, borrow a dinosaur, it shows up for around a level, and then leaves. And you, heal. Could, you could drop that for spontaneous fast healing instead. That was a often selected option once it came out if your druid was your primary divine caster because otherwise yes you would run into exactly that issue. Um also wands of vigor because yeah. wands
1: of lesser vigor <laughs> were goofy in three point x but we'll get to that. Yes. So the three five answer to hit point restoration was always wands. Because a one of a first level spell was super cheap. It cost less than half of a plus one weapon, and you had plus one weapons by like level three. So yeah, you just basically have a stack of wands of cure light wounds that you'd go through to restore hit points instead of spending actual spell slots on it. But the heal skill, heal skill in three five, was still useful for some other things: treating disease, treating poison, treating specific uh, status effects like caltrops. If you stepped on caltrops, DC ten heal check to. Uh, undo the status penalty from caltrops so there were some specific uses that made heal useful in ways that sometimes could replace magical healing because spells like remove poison and cure disease were expensive and you probably didn't want to prepare those every day if you weren't expecting to run into something that's going to poison you or make you sick so heal was a very nice way to solve those problems without resorting to magic, without buying scrolls or potions or whatever, which got expensive very quickly. Now, Pathfinder 1st Edition built on those rules, basically copy-pasted the core heal rules from 3-5, and expanded on them to add more options, like eventually they added higher DC heal checks that you could use to actually restore hit points. It took some... it. Frustratingly large amount of time, but if you optimize the heal skill, you could actually restore a ton of hit points pretty quickly. So, having heal was a good, cheap
0: substitute to dumping gold into magic wands. But you are dumping your, it, like the opportunity cost of climbing the feet tree to get to that versus taking other things. Yes, exactly. Okay. So, you're, I don't want to say dooming a character, but you are kind <laughs> of like, hey, yeah, this is, yeah, this is your lot in life and we all appreciate it. Yeah. Okay.
1: So we've talked a bit about how 3-5 heal, Pathfinder 1 heal could... They couldn't really restore hit points, at least not until late in Pathfinder 1st Edition. They could treat medicine, or they could treat disease, they could treat poison, they could help you recover HP naturally. You can't do any of those things in 5th Edition. There are a handful of monster abilities which specify that you can... I, I may be remembering this wrong, but I remember there... I. Words are hard. I remember there being a few monster abilities that you can use medicine to remove some part of the condition or something like that, but the rules of the medicine skill itself don't provide that capability, so the only core function of the medicine skill is made outright useless by the existence of the healer's kit. Now, people will sometimes look at the medicine skill and say, okay, if I want to get into medicine and do non-magical healing, I'm going to take the healer feat. So let's look at the healer feat real quick. So it has two functions. Function one is when you stabilize somebody with a healer's kit, which they've already acknowledged that the medicine skill is useless just by saying you have to use a healer's kit to do this. Instead of just stabilizing them, they pop up at one hit point. Which is pretty nice because that's kind of like using healing word on somebody. It does take your action, but that's besides the point. And then the second effect is as an action, you can heal somebody for some number of hit points, which is intended to be used in combat. Like somebody's really hurt, somebody's unconscious, I can restore a bunch of hit points, get them back into the fight. But the problem is it's 1d6 plus the number of hit dice they have. So it is a tiny, 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 tiny amount of healing that. It'll get them up from unconscious, but you have the first bullet point for that. And the difference between one hit point and, like, ten hit points doesn't really matter after very low levels. So the healer feat is really frustrating, and if you can cast Healing Word, you're already better than the entire feat.
0: And I guess just to be clear, like, who's eligible to pick up the healer feat? Is this only available to a certain class, or is this, a like, an optional feat that anybody can pick up in lieu of... No, it, it's just a feat. Like, it's it's in the core rulebook. Anyone can take it. It sounds like when we think about opportunity casts, this would be pretty low compared to almost anything else available to you. Unless you got handed this feat for free. Well, feats are really expensive in 5th
1: edition. Like, you're you're taking that instead of a potentially much better feat or an ability score increase. And the benefits really just aren't very good.
0: Yeah, so this would be super low compared to anything else that we would consider taking.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like, there is a fun abuse case where the Thief Rogue can use uh, their Fast Hands feature to use a healer's kit as a bonus action. But, like, even then, it's still not very good unless you plan on having your allies fall unconscious every turn. You're like... Bonus action, stand back up. Bonus action, stand back up every turn.
0: Well, the good news is, though, that if you're using this, um, if they get hit again, they probably are falling down again. And therefore, being able to do it every turn is probably beneficial. On the other hand, you know, that's still expending a
2: resource. And in fact, it's expending money, which is yeah, arguably... money has no value in five innings anyway. <laughs> well, yes. And wonder how many times we're going to rant about that same thing. But I mean, you know, realistically... It's a boring way to play the game. I mean i think that's the yeah it's even even as this rogue abuse case it's still not as good as a healing word and also if you're a rogue and you're using your bonus action to stand somebody up why aren't you using your bonus action for anything else cunning action can do
0: yeah all right you at this point i'm sad so tell me about <laughs> a tabletop system that actually makes medicine that makes sense and makes the game better so there are several so I've got my big stack
1: of books on the floor over here that I've been looking at all day, looking for uh, for various clues about how medicine works. Pick any RPG that isn't Dungeons and Dragons. The okay. short answer, like
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm going to pick one. You ready? Go for okay. it. Okay. Uh, uh, FFG Star Wars. Perfect. Okay.
1: So in Final Fantasy, in Fantasy Flight's Star Wars RPG, all three of the rule sets, the rules for medicine are identical. You make a medicine check and you restore some number of wounds based on the number of successes you roll. You can also reduce strain, which is the like I'm tired bar. And if you get a triumph on the roll, you can, uh, you can heal severe injuries, which are like, I have a broken leg. I have a broken arm. uh, I've been temporarily blinded in one eye, things like that. So medicine is very, very effective and very, very important. And, like, there are huge numbers of specializations around medicine in the game. Your character could just be a doctor in space, and that could be your whole deal. Like, I heal people, and I go on wacky adventures with my friends in my spaceship. Sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, mean, like, I have the Star Trek, and it's like, damn it, man, I'm a doctor, not a miracle worker. Like, that <laughs> sort of... You That's know. about right. Yeah, uh, There is also one interesting mechanic, which I want to come back to later when we're talking about like adapting stuff to other places. In Fantasy Flight Star Wars, if a character is more severely injured it actually gets harder to treat them so uh, you have this concept of a wound threshold which think of it like your hit point maximum in 5e if you're below half of your wound threshold it's pretty easy to heal you if you get in the the bottom half of your wound threshold it gets harder if you're you're like basically out of hit points which is like i am barely still conscious it's really really hard to heal you so like you want to treat people's injuries as quickly as possible after you get out of a fight or whatever, because the more severely injured
0: they are, the harder and harder it
1: gets for them to come back.
0: That's actually that's a really interesting idea that I've, I've literally never considered, right? We think of HP as being this linear thing where, yeah, five points of healing leads to five points of improvement on HP. So what you're saying is they effectively applied a function where it's like the more HP you've lost, the five HP will not go as far.
2: Uh, Yeah, did you know if someone is bleeding out of several enormous puncture wounds, slapping a Band-Aid on it, less helpful than you might think?
0: No, that's (laughs) been exactly my experience, right? Oh, I'm sorry, your leg fell off. I'm going to squeeze some Bactine on the back of this. Stand back up. Let's get in the fight. (gasps) Guys, I may have just had a really obvious realization, but do you you think the name
1: Bacta came from Bactine? Anyway. All right, right, I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) 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 So no,
2: listeners, that pause was just all three of us staring at him.
1: (laughs) Am I just now having that realization and I'm the only one late to the party? All right. (laughs) All right. So uh, moving on to other RPGs, Shadowrun, (laughs) another RPG that Randall and I really, really want to play. Correct. So Shadowrun calls their their medicine skill something super cool. It's called biotech. And because it covers both medicine and cybernetics, so it' more the like attaching cybernetics than repairing them or whatever. But it does basically the same thing. You do first aid. You roll a check. The number of hits you roll on the die, you r- restore that many points of wounds. I'm forgetting what Shadowrun calls them. Oh my goodness! But you heal people, and then you can also do like the longer form version where you use a med kit, which like if if you're familiar with Star Wars, a med kit is basically a portable first aid kit. In Shadowrun, a med kit is basically a self-contained surgical station. So, mm. so you do surgery, you roll a biotech check, you restore a bunch of hit points. But it's basically you just you roll the you roll your check, you restore hit points, you're done. There's other stuff you can do with it, like you can attach cybernetics, you can perform surgery, like other cool stuff. Disease and poison are less of a thing in Chatterrun, as far as I know. I'm sure there's probably still some version system. of it. There's it's, definitely cyber drugs. poison.
0: Cyber poison, yes. Yeah. I, yeah. I have a cold and also a computer virus. Yeah, it's like, poisons are just drugs we haven't figured out how to take yet. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm thinking about that. Like, that's actually kind of a fun idea. Like, I've got it's like, yeah, you know, I'm this super awesome hacker, but uh, just lay down. I'm going to get out my surgery kit, and I'm going to fix you <laughs> up real good. It's going to be great. Oh, no. Uh, and, it, and it works. It's great. It's good. <laughs> one, one of the interesting thing there to me would be that, like, I am equally likely to improve the state of your physical tissue as I am to fix your infrared eyeball that's glitching. In Shadowrun, Yeah.
1: So yeah. so if you have a party that has people with cybernetics, you're probably going to want some mechanical skills around too. Uh, back in 3-5, Warforged were technically constructs, so the Wizards got a repair construct spell, which was equivalent to the cure wound spells. So if you had Warforged in the party, the, Claire, or the Wizard is also your healer
0: now. Bring skills that cover your party's needs. No, that, that definitely makes sense. All right, You you hit on something interesting I kind of want to dive a little bit deeper on. So you brought up the idea of, like, again, the more injured you are, the harder it is to heal you. And I think that, like, nonlinear function is really interesting. And as long as we don't have to go back to Thacko tables, I think this should be something we should bring forward with us. I know, so 5e has this idea, like, there is an optional rule or a variant on lingering injuries. And if you read that, it's like, you know, you get stabbed in the eyeball and you lose it but if you use a regeneration spell we can bring it back or you lose a limb and and so like you don't have a hand anymore but if you use the regeneration spell we can bring it back
1: lingering injuries are a great way to make wounds feel more serious there is kind of a careful balancing act you have to do because lingering injuries will naturally punish the characters who are getting attacked more frequently so your frontline fighter whoever's being your party's tank they are necessarily going to take most of the damage and therefore most of the debilitating injuries. So over time, like if you're not high enough level that you can cast the spells to repair those lingering injuries, your martial characters will be punished for the existence of the system and your casters
0: standing in the back, they're fine. In a in a role play sense, that actually makes perfect sense. I do want to call out, so what the variant recommends, like two of the examples they give for why a lingering lingering injury might happen. One is on a critical strike. You should have some percent chance that this is going to happen, and I would argue you should make that super low, but I do think it's interesting. The second is if, if somebody falls but doesn't actually die outright. Um, and so while they're making their death saves, you might... Say, hey, by the way, you got you you got poked in the face. Sorry about that.
2: Tyler brought up a really good point. This is going to unnecessarily punish martial characters who already don't scale as well as casters do. And on top of that, in the same rant that I had about flanking, this punishes the players. You're never going to deal a lasting injury to a monster... Or maybe you do, but even if you do, it's only going to matter until you kill them, which you're already in the process of doing anyway. I was going to say death is pretty, you know. (laughs) Exactly. The the best status injury you can inflict is dead. Write that down. (laughs) When you consider a system like that, you really have to... Set the expectation with your players that, like, hey, we're going to be doing this. It's going to be harder for you. Is that something you guys are going to enjoy? Because if you don't go in with that social expectation, you're just going to have unhappy players. And in particular, you're you're already taking away from the people who already get the short end of the stick. I definitely like the thought of bringing in some way to make it so that, Yeah, the further down you are, then maybe it's a little bit harder. And while we can maybe borrow a mechanic from 4th edition that I I think is maybe a variant but not really um, in 5th edition, which is the bloodied mechanic. This is a a thing that most DMs will still describe anyway, because I think one of the books talks about describing, even if it no longer is a keyworded mechanic, bloodied. Bloodied from 4th edition just means something is below half HP. That's an easy way to describe, like, ah, yes, you know, the the monster definitely seems like it's slowing down, Um, it's got a few wounds on it, you can tell that it's unhappy. Maybe if you're healing a bloodied character, maybe that requires a medicine check to get full effectiveness out of the spell, something like that. Something that's not going to punish people who already are in a bad place, basically, (laughs) is, is my point
0: no, I, d- I definitely take it. I think there's there's a couple things here. One. So as a DM, if you are at or adder- if you're adding the lingering injuries to your game, what what has to come with this is basically the free availability. Like you talk about having an NPC nurse that can just use uh, heals so you can get double your hit dice at least back in three x. In this case, there has to be, like, somebody who cast Regeneration standing on the side of every corner. It's like, ah, oh, missing eyeballs, <laughs> missing eyeballs. You know, Bring out your dad. I'm not. Boy. Yeah, okay.
2: Which means that there's just 13th level clerics wandering around all over your world. And, who yeah. oh boy, why do you still have problems?
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's like, well, they're very busy giving people back their eyeballs. Uh, well, but there you go. I, I do want to offer a fix for the fact that this is much worse for our fighter versus our wizard. But I'm going to ask you a question ahead of time what is the hit dice for a wizard d6 Six. okay what's the hit dice for a fighter d10 okay i want to square the hit dice and i, I want to have a one out of over hit dice squared likelihood of receiving a lingering injury well
1: that's an interesting idea so for fighter it would be a one in 100 for wizard to be one in 16 36. 36 one in 36 hang on i'm counting on my fingers don't
2: worry, I'm, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt that you were going off of the 3.5 wizard and it was a d4
0: hit dice. Oh, I totally you're was. Thank you. Good, we fixed it. <laughs> math, math is strong. Strong is yes. math. Tyler. Tyler's strong. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, right, you're on a critical hit, you would be three times as likely to have this lingering injury.
1: That would definitely tip the scales, but I would also ask if it's going to happen 1 in 100 times. No, no, it's going to happen <laughs> 1 in 100 crits.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, at that point, you're going to see it maybe twice in a campaign. Okay. All right. I'll adapt.
0: I'll adapt. Squared over four. Okay. Just increase (laughs) the overall rate, but you're still making it more likely for the squishy people to have it happen, which, again, it all feels realistic. All right. We'll workshop it. I'm just saying I feel like there's a way to bring this in and make it feel like, eh, okay. But to bring it back to Monday Medicine and the fact that in 5e, the medicine skill absolutely sucks uh one of the great examples in the um in the lingering injuries is you have a limp you just have a limp now and they call out specifically it can be made to go away with a magical healing yeah which exactly exactly describes the problem that
1: we're discussing today (laughs) like if everything is solved magically why even bother having the medicine skill exist like I get D&D is very high fantasy typically. It's most people don't run their games as like a low fantasy. Very few people can cast spells. Most people don't run those games because even in those games, you have one person in the party who can cast cure wounds. A lot of your problems are magically solved. So medicine is much less useful. But why couldn't they have said, yeah, this is like a, a, it takes a DC something medicine check over the course of a week to do physical therapy and stretching or something.
0: Yeah, no, and, to me to me that makes perfect sense. Or or say that like you have to expend a healing slot of X. And so we can do this in the natural way over time. Or you can't just heal somebody for, you know, four HP and all of a sudden their limp is gone. You have to burn something higher level.
2: There are definitely places where proficiency in medicine has done a character good for me. Not in healing people.
0: <laughs> oh, okay,
2: good.
0: Yeah, no, this might no, make sense, that, then. Keep going. That would be ludicrous.
2: No, Um. so things like determining cause of death for a corpse that you find, things like determining maybe what kind of poison someone is suffering from based on symptoms or what disease. There's a lot of plot-related reasons why you might use proficiency in medicine, and, you know, I, I know that this sort of strays from our uh, our charter about, you know, how do we take mechanics and, and and make them, you know, more interesting. But honestly, writing to medicine in 5th edition is entirely possible. And so just there is my sidebar. Like, if if you are a creative player or a creative DM, you can figure out how to make medicine worth it when somebody's taken it, even though it's not a mechanically great choice for healing, there's still good things to do with it. Uh, you know, and in fact, way back in episode one, we, you know, when we were just, when we were talking about what's that red stuff on the door, <laughs> right? And, you know, I, I said, if it was blood, I would have absolutely allowed medicine proficiency to apply when, when pure, you know, someone was trying to identify it, right? So
0: there's things you can do, just not things that are very crunchy. But I'll ask the question, can you come up with a scenario where you would allow a medicine check where neither nature nor arcana would would cover? You know, if it's the tissue of the body, if it's like a bacterial infection, if it's something like this, I can imagine nature, if it's a poison, I, I feel like it's going to be either nature or arcana, right? Well, arcana is typically things that are magical or magic adjacent.
1: So you could you could cover poison with proficiency in a poisoner's kit. You could cover diseases uh, you could argue nature would work definitely it's super frustrating there there is actually a raw answer to identifying cause of death and it's not medicine for some reason what is it i'm pretty sure it's survival
0: that well, it kind of makes sense okay yeah they,
2: they didn't survive so. <laughs> here's a thing that i would say you're gonna get different answers and so, if you think about what somebody, so if you are proficient in nature as opposed to proficient in medicine, proficient in medicine is going to tell me what do these symptoms look like, and how do I treat them? You know, whereas a knowledge of nature might tell you what bacteria would I find that would be common to this area. So, you know, like if I see somebody has died and is foaming at the mouth, do I know bacteria might peroxide. be common? Uh, Exactly, you know, um, the fighter, he chugged back teen. I don't know why, but um, (laughs) callbacks, right? So there's really, this leans heavily on the improvisation skills of the DM, but that's one of the things that I highly, highly recommend that you practice and get good at if you are going to DM is don't just think, you know, don't be tied to, especially in pre-written modules you know you'll often have things like uh if a player succeeds on a dc 15 arcana check they will know that blah 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 which is great but you know what if somebody doesn't make that or or what if you know somebody doesn't have that skill well then what could you do to get them close using what they have because no one is going to enjoy not finding out something just because they didn't roll well or just because they didn't optimize a in a way that would be useful in this particular case so if you can figure out something to make the skill useful like medicine
0: that's going to end up feeling really good for them okay so i kind of want to put a bow on the compliment part of this compliment sandwich that we're giving the medicine skill pathfinder 2 has a lot of good ideas for what we could do with medicine right yes Medicine
1: is one of the most important skills in Pathfinder Second Edition. In a game that in, that involves a lot of crawling dungeons, back to back fights, you're you're not going to have enough spell slots to heal your party to get through a day. Like, clerics get uh, the ability to channel energy, which can heal, like heal party members. Uh, actually, I guess technically that's PF one, but in PF2 they get extra spell slots that can be either heal or harm if you're good or evil aligned but and anyway clerics get a bunch of magical healing it's still not enough you're gonna need medicine and there's this whole expected mechanic that that's not really called out in the rules intentionally so maybe but the basically the way it works is you have a fight after a fight everyone takes a break for a minute. Like People spend 10 minutes refocusing to get back their focus points. Uh, Somebody goes around and uses medicine to get everybody back up a few hit points. So this kind of post-combat phase is really important to survival in PF2. But beyond that, PF2 also does a really good job about spelling out a specific action for anything that you might want to do with any given thing. So for medicine, there's first aid, stabilize a creature, treat disease, treat poison, uh, staunch bleeding. So, like, they're very clearly enumerated, like, here is a thing you can do with this skill. Here's the things you can do if you're not trained. Here's the things you can do if you're trained. Here's how all of these things work. Like, it's all very clearly enumerated, and it covers pretty much all of the obvious things that you would want to do with a mundane medicine skill. Like, one of my party members is taking ongoing bleeding damage because they've been stabbed with some special weapon that does that. So I'm going to use my medicine skill, stop the bleeding. Or after a fight, I'm going to patch up everyone in the party. You know, bandages, high fives, ibuprofen, get everybody back up and ready for the next fight. So medicine is very useful. It's it's important to any party. Anyone in the party can do it with a reasonable degree of proficiency, so it's available to any party. So it's central, it's accessible, and it's effective, and it's well described.
0: Yeah, that was actually a crazy thing. So Tyler recently ran uh, for our, our regular DD group a Pathfinder 2 one-shot. And yeah, like we got through a fight, and at the end of it, we're looking around like, okay, we're all kind of banged up. And and right, our our, our game master is offering, it's like you can just give each other a first aid. And, yeah, first aid is the skill, right? Medicine. Or not the skill, the... The, yeah. the action is, is... I think it's treat wounds. I'm forgetting. Er, that's, there know. we go, treat wounds. And what was it? It was like a DC 15 medicine check? And if you hit that, yeah. uh, we get to roll hit dice, I think. It was... It's like D8 plus some
1: number. If you roll a critical success, which is you, you either roll a natural 20 or succeed by 10, um, then you get double that, I think. And if you roll a failure or critical failure bad stuff happens so like there is technically a small gamble until you get really good at medicine but it's i mean it's gonna
0: work out in your favor 95 percent of the time yeah no and except for precious poor precious but no it, <laughs> it it was a really cool i can't think of the word that i want to use mechanic 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 is the word I want. yeah it was a really cool mechanic that like Oh, like we can do this, and nobody has to burn spell slots, and we're not carrying healing potions. Like, we can actually just heal up, you know, the damage that the Thorn Bush did to us, or whatever it might have been at the time. Yeah, I I do really like that a lot. Um,
1: But if you're coming from other games and you come into Pathfinder and look at medicine and say, hey, this is kind of annoying and it's basically just a tax on every party's resources that someone has to be good at non-magical healing there's a variant in the game mastery guide that kind of addresses that so it's it's just called stamina the basic premise is you split your hit points roughly in half half of it is actual hit points half of it is stamina stamina is regained very easily but you can only regain it by by using the take a breather action between fights essentially and then your regular hit points work just like standard hit points do you can restore them with medicine your cure spells but basically what it means is if you don't go below half hit points in a fight you can just kind of catch your breath for a few minutes after every fight much less taxing on your resources i don't know that it actually changes the way the game plays all that much like it just means you have to put less resources into medicine and healing potions and things like that. But it does kind of reduce that reliance on that one central skill without really changing the game.
0: Yeah, I guess with, with Treat Wounds, it was, I think, you needed to spend at least 10 minutes doing the Treat Wounds action. And so if it, you had a timer... Go ahead. It was or
1: 10 minutes and there's there's a 60-minute cool down. So you can only do it to
0: one person once per hour. But yeah, it takes 10 minutes to actually do the treating of wounds. Oh, cool. And then you couldn't do it again for a certain period of time. And so if, if there was no time pressure in your, in your current session, then that's fantastic and it's not so taxing. But if there were time pressure, yeah, like that wouldn't be available to you and that would be pretty painful. Even if the time pressure was, you know, look, we have to be somewhere in two hours, you would only at most be able to apply this maybe once per party member or something like this. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right, are we are we ready to ask the question how do we how do we make 5e better? Yeah, I think so. So we
1: we've touched on a little bit already. We've talked about using medicine for things like identifying injuries. We could very easily bring back the concept of using medicine to treat both diseases and poisons. My recommendation would just be make a medicine check against the DC of whatever thing is affecting the target. So say they have like filth fever or something and it's DC 13 to, to get healthy, make a medicine check against that. And then maybe they make another save. Maybe they make the save with advantage, something along those lines, or maybe you just use the medicine check in place of rolling the save to make them get better. Yeah. Um if, 4th edition actually had... uh, One one of the options you could do with the medicine skill was you could allow people to make a saving throw, which, if you've played any edition of D&D except 4th edition, sounds crazy, but in 4th edition, saving throws were a thing that you did at the end of your turn to remove ongoing effects. So, like, someone is on fire or actively bleeding, you can make a medicine check, and they get to roll to remove that effect again. I I hate that they reused the term saving throw for a different concept, but 4th edition.
2: Yeah, um, one of the other things that we talked a bit about, this is definitely a, a little more on the punishing side, but I think that you could definitely balance around this. So we've talked previously about forcing healers' kits to... Allow for spending of hit dice. This is actually a optional rule, um, and that could be a very easy way to turn it sort of into a- as necessary and central as it is in Pathfinder Two. Unfortunately, it still doesn't provide a lot of the same benefits. Um, you know, you're you're still not really healing people. If you wanted, especially given how much of a bounded system Fifth Edition is. I honestly don't see a problem with just doing something like if you take the feet, then rather than spending a healer's kit to get like a D6 plus, you know, some tiny amount or something, just roll a medicine check. They get that many hit points back. It's like, it's not all that many, but it's still enough to make it feel like maybe this is worth it, because, you know, if you, especially if you're considering, like, a, a first-level spell slot, you're going to get back five hit points, uh, maybe, you know, you know especially at, at original casting, you're getting two and a half plus probably three, so about five. But, you know, if you're rolling a medicine check, particularly if you, you know, start stacking things like guidance, uh, maybe you want to make this roll with advantage, and then, you know, you're slapping... Like 15, 20 hit points back onto somebody. That's that's not gonna really break anything. And it's a really easy way to make medicine feel useful.
1: Now I'd I'd wanna play with those numbers a little bit because that like that seems like would be really, really good at low levels and kind of fall off at higher levels. But I think the concept is really good.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I kinda I had an idea of like almost borrowing Pathfinder 2's like crit success success failure crit failure model where like you roll a medicine check and then we apply a modifier to your hit dice that you will then roll. So during a short rest, you can roll your hit dice on a critical, critical success medicine check that somebody else applies to you. When you roll your hit dice, crit success, take max hit points. That would be cool. On a success. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. No, I'm going to say on a success, um, maybe you double the roll. Okay. Although that, maybe, 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 <laughs> max yeah, that's, that work, that's not going to not work out. on average. Okay. <laughs> so is maybe, hard. yeah, maybe on, on, on crit success, maybe you get double max hit points. We'll, we'll, we'll workshop this. Oh boy. Radiant on, servant of Paylor. He's back boys. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> on, on success, you get this on failure. You would get half. And then finally, finally on critical failure, you would get nothing. Like it doesn't matter. You, you declared you were going to burn two hit dice. You burn two hit dice. Maybe the answer is critical success you get the double success, you just get the hit points. And so what you're really banking on is that it's more likely that somebody will critically succeed because they did take uh, medicine as a proficient skill. Profission has
2: always been really generous, so I think maybe applying a little bit of harshness is fine here. I actually, um, I, I like the thing that I talked about a little bit ago where, you know, let's say if somebody is bloodied, if you want to use even healing magic on them, you need to make a heal check to make it as effective. Um, And so, you know, let's say like heal check DC is uh, (laughs) 10 plus the number of Hit dice, they hit no, that would end up scaling impossibly hard. <laughs> the, the, there is some target that you could find there. And so, like, if you try and heal somebody and you don't succeed on that, you, your heal spell still goes off, but maybe it's only 50% effective, something like that. And so, like, applying that not just to, like, spending hit dice, but actual healing um, would be a really interesting way to to work in that sort of uh, final Fan. Nope. You made me <laughs> do it, too. Fantasy flight, uh, you know, I- equivalent to um you know, adding adding more dice or you know just adopt the fantasy flight dice system and bring in you know your your triumphs and your your successes and your fails and just let the dice tell a story and that's a great time too right how many uh, yeah. how many triumphs are on my d20 i mean <laughs> i guess that depends are are we having guys and dolls d20s cuz then it's as many as you want oh. <laughs>
0: hmm. Yeah, or we could just bring in Shadowrun and we can let everybody have infrared eyeballs. I'm all for this, but anyway. I mean, that's technically what dark vision is. <laughs> okay, no, fair enough. Well, we solved it. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think where we've landed is 5e medicine as a skill kind of sucks. There's a lot of things you could do that make it suck slightly less. Uh, there's a lot of other cool systems out there that if you want to poke at, like if medicine is your jam, oh boy, is that the wrong rule set for you. <laughs> All right. Uh, this week's question of the week comes to us from October Sky via email. What are the pros and cons of using D and D versus Pathfinder? Well, that's a complicated
1: question. So, I'm not going to say that either system is better because I honestly don't think either one of them is better than the other. They are different. So it's very diplomatic of you. <laughs> right, I know, right? <laughs> but if one of them was better, it would <laughs> it would be DD30, the original
0: of what I learned when I was 12. <laughs> uh, the, yeah, the original D&D 3rd edition.
1: <laughs> um, okay, so both of them have merits. The 5th edition D&D is rightly popular because it is accessible, it's playable, it's easy to learn. its I won't say it's easy to master, but it's easily easy to become proficient in very quickly. And one of my favorite things about the design of 5th edition is most of the complexity is opt-in. So there are in every class a handful of options which are inherently low-complexity, easy to play so they're accessible for newer players for people who don't want to engage with the crunch too much so that's like circle of the land druid champion fighter evoker wizard so those options that don't give you a ton of buttons that you have to push and manage but there's also the way way more complicated options in any given class so on on those same classes like uh, circle of spores druid really cool really fun really complicated to play Um, Eldritch Knight Fighter, really cool, really effective, you have to track a spell list, and then basically anything but evocation on a wizard is going to be kind of complicated to play because spellbook. Fifth edition is nice because you can opt into the complexity if you want to and still play alongside people who are playing those less complicated characters. So if you have newer people in the party playing with veterans, that's really appealing. If you have people who just don't engage with the crunch and prefer the... Play, I said crunk, but weird. Um, if you have nobody, people, nobody heard
0: it until you said crunk again, I just want to point <laughs> that out. Uh,
1: if you have people on the party who prefer the more play acting aspects of the game, those low complexity options are really, really helpful. Pathfinder Second Edition is really great if you're comfortable with the mechanics of an RPG and you enjoy deep, rich choices in how you build and customize your character. So, every decision point in your character is meaningful. There's no there's no feat taxes like there were in like PF1, d 3, 5 I, I shouldn't say no, there are a handful but it's very easy to avoid them. If you want to make a meaningful choice about how your character works every time you gain a level, PF2 is awesome. Also, all of the specific actions you can take with any given thing are spe- spelled out in very specific detail, so like, 99% of the time, whatever you want to do is covered in the core rules. Like, yeah, just use the treat wounds action to restore hit points with medicine. There's there's very little mechanical improvis- improvisation that the GM has to do. Like, you don't have to look at the rules and say, there's no rule to cover this situation. What do I do? Because generally, they're all covered there. So... PF2's mechanics are a little deeper. They are harder to get into, uh, and they won't appeal to players who are who prefer to emphasize the play-acting parts of the game quite as much. But it's a really good system if your table is comfortable with that level of crunch. Yeah, I, I will say veteran listeners will have heard this. I tried to read through
2: the PF2 Player's Handbook it's 600-something pages. It's it's not so much a learning curve as a learning cliff. Now, if you have someone to guide you through, you're absolutely going to get that feeling where your choice matters agency. You are going to get a ton of agency, which is one of the things that game players love most. That's just good game design. That's a known thing. But you do end up kind of in guardrails, um, in in PF two, because everything is so spelled out, it removes a lot of the necessary flavoring that Fifth Edition is going to bring to every table. Because you know, in in Fifth Edition, because you know, players are inherently creative, they want to do these things. DMs are going to adjudicate that a little bit differently every time, right? Because 5th edition does just provide itself as more of a framework and some good you know, things for adjudicating certain actions, and then it leaves a lot of it to DM interpretation. You're going to get those differences. Whereas in PF2, I would imagine that you're going to end up with a lot of the same mechanically feeling games every time which is not necessarily a bad thing but that's you know that 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 is one of the things that you're going to run into just because of the sort of meta well what's the the things that pf2 uses is tags all of these things have all of these characteristics and you know that's that's going to mean that a lot of times people, rather than trying to think about, you know, how might I make this interesting, they're just going to lean on the fact that it is so cleanly spelled out. Which is fine. And, you know, that, that does let you get into this this real crunchy uh, game that you can have. I'll say where Tyler definitely provided some, some pros of both. Some cons of Pathfinder, that one. Some cons of D&D. It... Can feel a little bit like you know, especially as a first-time DM, it can feel like you don't have enough to go on sometimes. Um, you know, particularly if because so many people are coming into uh, tabletop role-playing games right now through Fifth Edition. You know, let's if you are this group of five people who one person says, "I'll do it. I'll I'll write up a story." You can definitely end up with some inconsistently applied stuff. Here is a a fun exercise. Go back and watch or listen to the very first episode of Critical Role when they transitioned to 5th edition from Pathfinder. They get a lot of stuff wrong. And and this is Matt Mercer, right? Like this, this is a world-renowned DM as far as, you know, such a thing as possible. Just getting stuff wrong because there isn't that real handhold guide rail and so maybe that's that's not for you maybe you know if you are someone who wants that to feel more comfortable that's fair um and yet i i think that uh, obviously as everyone who has made them very popular would agree it that didn't make it a bad story right so like tyler was saying if you are, you know, more on the the play acting side of it, 5th edition very definitely your jam. All right. I am about to make a weird
0: Venn diagram of people very angry. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm looking forward so, to it. Okay. Uh so I think playing D&D 5e is a lot like picking up the bass for the first time. Right? It's super easy to to like play basically you can get together with people and jam. There's a lot of people who want bassist out there. You can always find a table. Like, there's, there's a lot of room for it. Um, but when you see someone who's exceptional, who's studied, who's really spent the time and invested the energy into it, like when you hear Flea from Hot Chili Peppers play, when you, when you hear, like, Les Claypool play, right? You're like, oh, okay, that person knows bass, and it's really super awesome. Low barrier to entry, easy to have a good time with your friends, uh, and you can really admire expertise, especially if you know a bit about it. Pathfinder 2 is like picking up the mandolin. Because you you walk in and you're like, hey, I want to play the mandolin. And everybody else is like, I've never seen one of those. That's a beautiful <laughs> ukulele. Why so many strings? And you're trying to explain. It's like, no, no, it's great. It pops up in a lot of music. What music? I don't know that music. And you, it's like it's hard to find anybody to even engage. And then when you do finally find everybody... Like they have really long fingernails. They love bluegrass. When you were trying to play some country, the whole thing gets really awkward all of a sudden, and I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> Boy, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna find that clip
2: on r slash least specific at some point. Yeah.
1: Uh, all right. Uh, all right. So, jeez. Uh, that got weird. So, it's one so I will say there are less people playing PF2 than 5e. Uh, Pathfinder has pretty much always had a smaller audience than Dungeons and Dragons. Part of that is name recognition. Just when most people think about tabletop RPGs, they know it as Dungeons and Dragons, and I don't know if there's anything else of the kind. So Pathfinder 2nd Edition will probably have a smaller community, um, Organized play is a thing. Pathfinder Society is very active. They put out content constantly. Most likely, if you're playing in a home game, you're going to bring your group to Pathfinder Second Edition and say, hey, I know you guys really like 5e. I know you enjoy the crunch. I want to try something new. Pathfinder 2 isn't that far off. It's very similar thematically, little different mechanics, worth exploring, lots of great ideas in the game. And if you're going to get started in PF2, just grab the beginner box and we have a beginner box walkthrough guide on the website, which fills in some of the gaps and basically just rounds off the sharp edges on the beginner box that I'm hoping will be very helpful.
0: Yeah. I know the group's had a lot of fun playing Google dolls lately. Maybe you should bring in some mandolins. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Our next episode will be random encounters. The search for more random. I'm Randall James. You can find me at amateurjack.com and at JackAmateur on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Tyler Campster. You'll find me at rpgbot.net, Facebook and
1: Twitter at RPG and patreon.com slash rpgbot. And I'm Random Pell. You might encounter me, it's about a 20% chance.
2: Um, but when you do, that's probably because you were here on RPGbot uh either reading some of my articles, which new one currently being written, look forward to that, or here on the podcast. Um, or you may have run into me at places where people play games as Harlequin or Harlequint.
0: All right. All hail the leisure Illuminati.
1: We understand that sometimes having your vehicle repaired can be stressful. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. We got
0: it. You'll find affiliate links for source books and other materials linked in the show notes. Following these links helps us to make this show happen every week. You can find our podcast wherever fine podcasts are sold. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. And please, please, please share it with your friends. If your question should be the question of the week next week, please email podcast at rpgbutt.net or message us on Twitter at RPGBOTTOTNET. Thanks, folks.
2: the least qualified here to answer Star Wars trivia.
1: (laughs) I think I was just trolled by our producer.
2: When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look
0: better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangee
2: Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life.
0: Stangey Law Firm has an office in Wichita, Kirk Stangee, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri.